the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. No arm twisting, no schemes, no conniving. It's just the Word of God, Jesus and your money, and how it is all designed by God to glorify Him and bless you. That's next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. Welcome. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, who today will return us to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 19. This is an amazing look at a passage of Scripture designed to encourage you and I in our giving. Please join us today for a message simply called Jesus and Your Money. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but there is nothing about you or me that God needs. No earthly thing. In fact, you and I are of no benefit to God at all. You can't make Him happier, and you can't make Him sadder. You can't change His perfectly blessed state. Because if you could, number one... God is then not changeless as he says he is. And number two, that makes you more powerful than God to be able to determine what goes on in the heart of God. And there is no other God. You say, Gary, I don't want a God I can't have some influence on. Well, then you can make up a God of your own if you would like. But the only God there is, you cannot influence. I love what God told Job. He said, Job, do you think you're smart? Well, where were you when I created the world? He's saying, Job, the most important thing you have to learn about me is I am God that is not accountable to you. I don't have to answer your questions. I don't have to give you a reason for why I do the things I do. Sometimes I do tell you, but I'm not accountable to you. You are accountable to me. And Job, I love you. I I don't need you, but I do love you. I'm completely blessed in and of myself, but I love you. Now, if God loved us because he needed us, if he said, I need you because I'm lonely... I love you so I can be more complete. He really wouldn't be God, would he? How would it make you feel if someone was to say to you, God loves you because it transforms him and he needs you and you make it so he's not lonely any longer? You'd put your shoulders back and think, I must be pretty good. If there's something about me that God needs, I must be better than I thought I was. 
But that is not the way God loves. How does he make you feel? How does it make you feel when God says, I don't need you. I'm perfectly blessed in and of myself without you. You're no benefit to me, but I love you. In fact, I love you so much that I've given up my own son and I'm sending him to hell so that you won't be sent to hell. Now, how does that make you feel? I hope it makes you feel humble and broken. Why should such a God, such a great God, as this love a worm like me? So that is what it means to say that God is blessed. It means that he is perfectly sufficient and satisfied with himself. That the most important thing to God is not you and me. The most important thing to God is God. God is totally and completely self-centered. You say, well, Gary, I thought we weren't supposed to be self-centered. We are not supposed to be self-centered in any way because we are not God. We are to be God-centered. If God were to be man-centered so that everything he did was for man, it would be like the smartest man in the world with the highest IQ giving up all of his scholarships and all of his brilliance to take care of rats for the rest of his life. To feed those rats, to clean those rats, to keep their cages nice and clean. And you would say, this is the smartest man in the world? What a waste. But it would be even a greater waste for the infinite God to be man-centered than for the brilliant human genius to be rat-centered. So this great God is blessed. And he is the only sovereign. Now, sovereign is a word used for people in political authority such as kings and presidents and congressmen and governors and such. It is the authority and the jurisdiction to rule and to govern. But in the highest sense of the word, God is the only sovereign. There's no one to whom God is answerable. There is no authority over him. There's no authority that he has to check with and get the approval of. And in that sense, he is the only sovereign. Every other sovereign in the world, every other person that has any kind of authority or power, power is accountable to him, not him to them. He is the only true sovereign. All the rest of the sovereigns in the world throughout history, however strong they may have been, were grasshoppers, Isaiah said. They were mere drops in the bucket compared to the only sovereign, the only one in the universe who rules over all. Some people think Satan has great power, but he is just God's sheepdog on a leash that he uses to keep his own sheep in line. He has no authority and no power whatsoever above even or even equal to God. He's no threat to God. 
God doesn't sit up in the heavens wringing his hands wondering, what am I going to do with Satan? Is he going to throw a monkey wrench into all my plans? No, remember Psalm 2 says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Not because he thinks Satan is funny, but he laughs with content because he knows all of Satan's plans will fail. So God is the only ruler, the only one in the universe who governs everything. No one else does, and his plans never fail. Therefore, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no one equal to him or above him. Now, I hope you realize that phrase, King of kings and Lord of lords, is a political statement. Who is a king and what is a lord? He is someone that governs someone, like a civil magistrate that rules over a particular territory or over a country. And God is the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. Therefore, all political persons and civil magistrates are accountable to pledge their allegiance to his supreme authority or perish under his righteous scepter. You see, it's not enough for us to try and get back to conservatism in America. Conservatism cannot save America from anything. And it's not enough to get America even back to the law of God, as important as that is. Because if all you have is law, you are no different than a Pharisee. Our responsibility as Christians is to call America back to the law of God and to be king of kings and lord of lords again in this nation. We cannot rest until America is Christian. We cannot rest until every citizen from the lowest to the highest person in the civil government pledges allegiance to God as the king. And you know there's nothing unusual about that. My favorite patriotic song is My Country Tis of Thee. And it is the last stanza of that song which I like the best. Where God is called author of liberty, great God our king. Because, you see, there is no liberty for a nation that does not confess that God is its king. So that is what we are to do. You go to your political officials or those people you are going to vote for whenever you get the opportunity to see them. Or you write them and ask them questions that will embarrass the daylights out of them. When I lived in Southern California, I was a member of an organization called Tax Reform Immediately. It was a national organization that had committees in almost every congressional district across America. What we did was print thousands of brochures called TRIM, again, Tax Reform Immediately. In that brochure, we would put the voting records of a district's congressman on six to eight of his bills that he signed on, and we would include what those bills cost per household. And we would go door to door handing 
those brochures out. You can probably understand the commotion that this caused. And we covered both Democrats and Republicans. Well, I received a call from the local office of Barry Goldwater, Jr., inviting myself and the officers of our committee to his office, basically to beg us to stop distributing our brochure because he said his office was being inundated with phone calls. We printed and distributed the brochure every single quarter. And this was only the second quarter, the one that we distributed up to that point. He tried to convince us that he was a conservative and he was on our side. And we were hurting his reputation. So we simply told him, well, when he starts showing his concerns for his constituents' pocketbooks, then they will start calling him to congratulate him and thank him. He, of course, tried to justify his votes to our members who were very sharp politically. And they shot every one of his excuses down, and he became extremely frustrated. Well, before we left, I asked him, as a professing, professing Christian Congressman Goldwater, how are you going to represent the crown rights of Christ as a king to all men? He said, well, I've never been asked that question before. Then I said, well, if you continue to be the congressman of this district, it will not be because of any reason that you can conjure up, but because Christ wants you to represent his crown rights in Washington for California. But because Christ wants you to represent his crown rights there as a professing Christian, you must do what you can in your position to move America closer to that day when it professes Christ as king. And we will not stop until we can hear that from you. Well, unfortunately, a lawsuit was filed against Trim because they said we weren't distributing them equally, which we were, and that put an end to our committee. <clears throat> I'd love to see something like that happen again. In the old Confederacy in the Civil War, there was a movement put forward by Presbyterian ministers who had a paragraph to the Confederate Constitution. But the war was not going well at that time for the Confederacy, so they never got to debate it in the Congress of the Confederacy. But this is how that paragraph read. We, the people of the Confederate States of America, do hereby recognize Jesus Christ as the Son of God and King of kings and Lord of lords, and do hereby declare that no law shall be passed in these states contrary to the revealed will of God found in Holy Scripture alone. If that had passed, I believe the South would have won that war. But the point is, that is the goal we want to pursue. We are for nothing less than that. Why? Because the only blessed sovereign in creation is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 16. Who alone possesses immortality. Now that's an interesting statement. Because we, have often, we often talk about the immortality of the soul. 
So what does God mean when he says he is the only one who possesses immortality? Don't we believe in the immortality of the soul? The answer is no, we do not. The immortality of the soul is an old pagan platonic philosophical phrase used long before the New Testament was written by pagan Greeks. They meant, well, the body's not important. It doesn't really matter what you do with the body. After all, the soul of every individual is immortal, and it's just going to keep on living. Well, do a study of the word immortality in Scripture and see if that fits that pagan definition. What the Bible says is, when you are regenerated, when you are born of God, God gives you spiritual immortality and indestructible, indestruction, with indestruction, sorry. We believe in the indestructibility of man, that you will be indestructible throughout all eternity. And then the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that at the second coming of Christ, when he raises up our bodies from the dead, then our mortal will become immortal. What's he talking about? He's talking about our bodies. So we don't just believe in the immortality of the soul at regeneration. We believe in the indestructibility of man by regeneration and resurrection. That body and soul is going to live throughout all eternity. And why is that? Because God has given his people immortality. Until he did, we were just mortal beings. What does it mean, then, for God to say he is the only one who possesses immortality? Well, you could explain it like this. The Christian man is immortal because he drinks from the fountain of God. And God is immortal in that he is that fountain. Any immortality that we have is from God and not because of our created nature. But God is the fountain of never-ending life. And when you drink from that fountain, you will live forever. The word immortality can also be translated deadlessness. You have eternity, which is the never-ending endurance of life. You have immortality, which is deathless. And when spoken of concerning God. He is the fountain of everlasting life, and you must drink from him in order to live with him throughout all eternity. Who alone possesses immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light. I'm going to tell you a story about George Whitfield that I've told you before, but it's just so apropos here. George Whitfield is considered to be one of the greatest preachers who ever lived on both sides of the Atlantic during the times of the 1740s through the 1760s. And he preached to thousands upon thousands of people. He was reformed, and he led thousands of people to Christ. He had a great friend who was not famous, at least at that point in time. His name was John Wesley. And Whitfield was famous when Wesley was just up and coming. 
Then Wesley did become famous also because of his godliness and his powerful preaching. But he didn't like some of the doctrines Whitfield was preaching. He especially didn't like Calvinism. And he would preach against it even after he became famous. And he became famous because of George Whitfield. He too was preaching to thousands of people on both sides of the Atlantic. And Wesley would preach against Calvinism. And he would be a little nasty and accuse Whitfield of character flaws that were not true. He would publicly flaunt not only his criticism of the Reformed faith, but he would publicly flaunt and expose weaknesses in Whitfield's character that were just pure slander. Whitfield was now aging. John Wesley was hitting his peak, running full stride. He had become very, very popular. Some of Whitfield's friends came to him and said, Brother Whitfield, do you think you will see John Wesley in heaven after all of the derogatory things that he said about you and with so many people believing him? George Whitfield said, no, I do not. Because Wesley will be so close to the throne of God and I'll be so far away that I will not be able to see him for the brightness of God's glory. Now that is true humility. By the way, his friends also told him, you need to answer your critics. And he said, I am perfectly willing to wait until judgment day to be vindicated. Are any of us? So the point is, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is resplendent in light. So if you can see him at all in heaven, it will be because he will reveal himself to you. It says he dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. Does that mean you won't ever get to see God? Is that what that means? No, because the Bible says we will see him. When he appears, we will see him as he is. And we will be like him by the power of his that makes him master of everything that is. But what that is getting at is no man can see God or ever will see God if he thinks he will be able to see him purely through human experience and the senses, which is every unbelieving man, woman, and child. You can see a rock sometimes when you want to. You can go up in the mountains and pick up a rock and see whether it wants you to or not. And you can tell it all kinds of things about the rock, whether it wants you to tell anything about itself or not. But not God. You will not see God unless he chooses for you to see him. And praise the Lord, he is a God of light who does reveal himself to his people. So Paul says, after realizing all these things, to God be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. A God like this deserves all of the honor and all of the worship this puny little human being can give him. 
He deserves all of the adoration and all of the praise this pathetic, sinful human being can give him. He is deserving of all honor, and he's deserving of eternal dominion. That is the eternal display of his lordship over every area of life. That is what Paul is saying here. He is saying, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. That is what he is saying here when he says, all honor and eternal dominion come to you. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. The ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. As always, it's a delight spending time with you here in God's Word. And if today's program has been especially helpful to you, we'd love to hear about it. Would you take a moment and contact us? Let us know how the program is encouraging you in Christ. It would mean a great deal to us. From time to time, we'd like to know how the program is being used by God. And that would be a great gauge for us. A quick letter or a phone call. Here's how to contact us, 408-866-5607. That's our phone number, 408-866-5607. Or you can write to us at PMB, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB for post mailbox, number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is the zip code. If you'd like to know more about Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose or Pastor Gary Wagner and Abounding Grace, you can visit our website, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And leave us an email when you stop by. Let us know you paid us a visit. You're also welcome to, again, call. That phone number is 408-866-5607. If you'd like a copy of today's program, by the way, mention today's date when you contact us and we'll get a copy out to you. The cost is $5. And any amount you send above and beyond cost of resource materials will go right back into the radio program, as this is a listener-supported ministry. We're able to continue our daily presence here on this station as you continue to support us financially and prayerfully. We appreciate your help in this endeavor. Thank you again. For further information, reformedheritage.org or 408-866-5607. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.